So in the last maybe 20, 22 years or so, I have been blessed to be able to be a part of about 30 different mission teams that have been serving in places all around the world, from Europe to Africa, Asia, Central and South America. And every one of these different trips has a different way of driving home kind of the same point. And that is, depending upon the country that I'm going into, the trip, what we're doing, um, it kind of helps me understand a little bit about how other people are living all around the world. So I've had a chance to be able to preach in auditoriums that were originally built by the Communist Party for indoctrination purposes. Myself and Bria have had an opportunity to stay in some rundown housing in the former Soviet Union and to serve alongside of pastors who many times make less than about $25 to $30 a month as a family income. I've had an opportunity to talk with people that their medical care came from the village witch doctor, and I cannot tell you how many thousands of children I've seen over the years who have been uh, impoverished, they have been underfed, they have had poor health care, poor education. Every country is different. Every trip is different. And yet when I come back, there is one point that is always the same. I come back and I tell myself I am unbelievably blessed to live in America. It gives fresh perspective. Doesn't matter how many times I've gone, each time I come back, that same feeling, that same sense of we are incredibly blessed. I get back and the things that used to be normal are now those that stand out. Things like road conditions and stores. Public restrooms, if you've been to some public restrooms around the world, you understand even the dirtiest public restroom in America, it is beautiful compared to what you see in other places around the world. Excited about things like houses and schools, it's incredible how blessed we actually are. I never realized it before traveling internationally, but you can live your entire life in prosperity and never realize how blessed you actually are. So for the last couple of weeks, we have been working our way through this text over in Ephesians chapter 1, and it's been talking about all of the blessings that are in our spiritual bank accounts in Christ. And in each one of the different services, I have stressed how blessed we are as believers. Instead of God just giving a handful of blessings or a little dab will do you, instead he has lavished his blessings upon us. If we don't take the time along the way to stop and to reflect and to assess the blessings and to remember what we have in Christ, you and I can spend our entire lives incredibly blessed and have no idea of how blessed we really, really are. So over the last several weeks, my goal in these messages has been to raise awareness of what we have in Christ, and then encourage believers to walk in and to live out the truths of what we have in our spiritual accounts. So tonight, I am not going to reread our text over in Ephesians chapter 1. Instead, I'm going to have a word of prayer. I will give a two-minute review, and then we're going to finish out this section over in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. So let's have a word of prayer, and tonight I am addressing the third and the final part of you are blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for 
the opportunity for worship, the joy we have in Christ. Lord, we pray tonight that you would allow us to realize once again what we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the previous two messages, I have shared four different blessings that are found in every Christian spiritual account in Christ. These blessings have been given by God the Father, and they are made ours through Christ the Son. So the first of those that we addressed was election. That is the heart of election, the doctrine of election, is that salvation is from the Lord. When a Christian understands the idea of election, it frees them up so that they no longer have to live with this performance-based mentality in their walk with Christ. Then we talked about adoption. Adoption speaks of membership into the family of God as well as maturity as a child of God. God did not give us a handful of blessings and then send us on about our way. Instead, the Bible tells us that he has loved us, he has adopted us, he has brought us into his family, he has made us his children. When somebody understands that, they now live with security in their walk with Christ. Then we talked about redemption. Redemption speaks of paying a ransom to release a person from a bondage, especially that of slavery. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 34, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Then it says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned. So according to what we find in Scripture, humanity is enslaved in sin. But on the cross, Jesus has paid the sin debt. Because of the fact that he has loved us, he was willing to buy us back from the slave market of sin. And according to scripture, he has redeemed us to free us. The Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. When a Christian understands redemption, it allows them to be able to live in freedom in their walk with Christ. The next one we talked about was forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness means that God wipes the sin slate clean. He wipes away our sin debt. The Bible clearly talks about the fact that he has completely forgiven those. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. When you became a believer, he wipes the sin debt clean. Now, that does not mean that we are going to not sin after being a Christian. It also does not mean that God is going to remove even all of the consequences that come from the sins of our past. There is still a price to pay for sin. But what that does help us to understand is we no longer have to walk in the guilt and in the shame of all of the sins that have been a part of our life. That now brings us to the new material starting tonight and our fifth blessing that is in our spiritual accounts in Christ. That is God revealed his will to us in wisdom and insight. God revealed his will to us in wisdom and in insight. French philosopher Andre Moreau said, the universe is indifferent. Who created it? We are on this puny mud heap, spinning in indefinite space. I have not the slightest idea, and I'm convinced that no one has the least idea as to why we are here. Moreau was not alone in these thoughts. That same idea was also shared by Soren Kierkegaard and David Hume and Friedrich Nietzsche. Other philosophers and thinkers throughout the ages have all come back to the same basic idea of not having any idea as to why we're actually on this planet. And yet, according to what we find in Scripture, even a child, a little child who was in Christ, 
can have a clear understanding of the purpose of why they are on this planet. You and I were created for relationship with God. You and I are here for God's good pleasure. That is why we have been created. In verses 8 and 9, it says, In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. This word wisdom is knowledge that sees into the heart of things and knows them as they really are. The Apostle Paul calls this the mystery of his will. Uh, God reveals the deeper issues of life, things like life and death and divinity and humanity, righteousness and sin, heaven and hell, time and eternity. According to what we find in Scripture, God helps us to understand his plan and his will and his activity that's happened in history around the world. If God had not done that, you and I would have no idea exactly the same as those who are of a secular philosophical mindset where they say we have no idea why we're here. If God did not reveal that to us through his word in wisdom, you and I would not have made a, the connections as well. So when a person understands this, it allows them to see the purpose when they understand why God has placed us here, there is now a purpose, there is a hope, there is an excitement about what it means to be a follower of Christ. One of the great examples of this is actually found in a secular movie. The movie is called The Matrix. I'm not necessarily going to recommend you go out and watch it, but I will tell you this. There's a lot of spiritual parallels that are in that movie. In that movie, it speaks of things like redemption and slavery and freedom and Messiah and wisdom. All of those come through the movie. And I don't have time to go through and share the entire storyline, but there is this one particular scene, this one moment, where the main character breaks free of this system that has enslaved humanity. And as he wakes up, he's surprised. And the reason he's surprised is because prior to his freedom, he thinks his world is reality. But when he is freed from the system, he sees things as they really are. What he thought was reality was actually a dream. And what he considered to be a dream was actually reality. Before a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, the events of this world might seem as though they are random and they're unrelated. It might seem like fairy tale. It might seem disconnected. They might look out and it might just seem as though it is a dream. But once a person enters relationship with God, what looks like a dream now becomes reality. How many times have you heard somebody who was not a follower of Christ make this type of a statement? For you to be a Christian, you had to push away your, your critical thinking skills and you had to swallow the God pill in order to do it. It's almost this idea that you cannot have a brain and actually be a believer. And the reason for that is what we find in 1 Corinthians 2.14. It tells us the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Prior to Christ, it's considered foolishness. With Christ... It's now reality. The fog begins to lift. The sun begins to shine upon the, the areas that have been dark and those that have been shadowed. There's clarity that comes with Christ that you don't have any other way. God gives us the wisdom to know, as he says in the text, the mystery of his will. 
but God also gives us insight. The word wisdom, it describes knowledge that sees into the heart of things and knows them as they really are. The word insight is an understanding that leads to right action. So the first one deals with the big picture. The second one deals with the right steps that need to take place to practically live out the truths that we just discovered. So as William Barclay put it, he said, and I quote, Christ gives to men the ability to see the great ultimate truths of eternity and to solve the problems each moment of time. In other words, there is a part of seeing the big picture, the mystery of God's will. And at the same time, there is also the ability to see what are the next practical steps that are necessary to live out those truths. There is a saying that some people are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. Let me just say there's also the opposite side of that. Some people are so earthly minded, they are of no heavenly good. But the proper place is not on either extreme. For the believer, we are to be heavenly minded and we are to be of earthly good. That combination is only made possible because being in Christ, he gives us wisdom and insight. The ability to see the big picture and the practical steps to live it out. That is a part of what is in our spiritual account in Christ. Here's the next piece. It is the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now, this piece is going to take just a few moments for us to explain. We've got to bring it into perspective. So, I don't know if you've noticed, but people like guarantees. There's something about being burned in a conversation, something about a handshake that went bad. So when somebody says, I promise I'm going to do this, and they actually don't do that, after doing that several times, you're like, I want to get that in writing. I want to get a guarantee. So in our world, we operate with a lot of things in writing as guarantees. So whether that is a sworn affidavit or a surety bond or guarantees or warranties, other issues in order to get what has been promised. We want to make sure that what somebody says is going to actually come to fruition. Now in verse 13, it says, Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So God's promise to us, his guarantee to us, is the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now, for you and I, there's a number of ways we can take this, but there are some really beautiful ways that you can see it right there in Scripture. For example, seals are mentioned in multiple places in Scripture, but one of the most beautiful places is found over in Revelation chapter 7 when it gives the idea of people being sealed by God. And that is during the post-rapture judgment, 144,000 Hebrew witnesses are going to be sealed by God and given the task of taking the gospel to Gentiles around the world. We're going to find, according to what the text tells us, that the beast, Satan's Messiah, will hate these messengers and want to attack these messengers, but is going to be unable to harm those messengers because they have been sealed by God. Because of that seal, they will move with incredible speed. Because of that seal, they are going to have unbelievable effectiveness in getting the gospel out. And there's going to be millions who come to faith in Christ because of their witness. Now, in this age, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It does not mean that we escape all the problems of life, but here's what it does mean. It means that God's influence constantly overshadows us. It means that anything that impacts us 
It has been sifted through the hands of a sovereign, loving, heavenly Father. It means that until it is time for God to take you home, you're basically bulletproof until God says it's time. There are stories of pastors, and one of the reasons there's security that takes place in churches right now is sometimes people have harmful ideas. There's stories of pastors who have been preaching the word of God, and somebody walks down the aisle with a gun in their hand and fires eight to ten feet away, and it doesn't actually hit the pastor. Here's the thing. Until God says it's time, God has you protected. Doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. It simply means what does happen, it is sifted through his hands. So in this age, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now in the New Testament times, seals are used for three primary purposes. First, a seal is used to confirm an object or a document as being true and genuine. A second reason is a seal was used to make something personal property. By the way, as pastors, we do that. We put stamps in the front of all of our books in our library, just in case you did not know that. And the reason we do that is just so that one day down the road when somebody doesn't return the book that they borrowed six years ago, they're going to open it up and they're going to say, ah, that's not my, my book. We put that seal in there to let somebody else know that's our personal property. That's just a pet peeve of mine, but there you go. Here's the next one. There's also a seal that is used to make something secure. Now, I want you to notice the parallels that we find in our spiritual life. The Holy Spirit verifies that a person is really God's child. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That is, there is a verification that we are God's child. Also, the Holy Spirit is God's claim that we are his possession. So in verse number 14, it says the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. The Holy Spirit helps us understand that we are God's possession. And then the final part is the Holy Spirit makes the Christian secure in their new relationship in Christ. That is, when disciples were nervous about Jesus leaving over in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. All three pieces are applicable for the believer. You are God's child, you are God's possession, and you are secure in this relationship. For a believer who understands the seal of the Holy Spirit, there is a confidence and a calmness that comes into their relationship in Christ. Here's your last piece. There is an inheritance in Christ. Our inheritance in Christ is an aspect of our salvation, which is primarily in the future. There's a number of different timestamps that you find. That is, we were elected or predestined, according to the text, before the world began. We have been redeemed in this present age, and we will receive our complete inheritance in the ages to come. That is, sometime out there in the future. 
So while God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places at the moment of salvation, there is a future inheritance that is coming to the child of God. There are more blessings that are only ours in the presence of God. Now, I know this might be a little confusing based on some of the things that I've been sharing in the last several weeks, but if we take a few moments, it'll make complete sense. According to the text, the Holy Spirit is not only God's seal of certain promises, the Holy Spirit is also a part of our inheritance in Christ. So Paul says in verse 14, the Holy Spirit is a pledge of our inheritance with a view of the redemption of God's own possession. Uh, that word pledge, it speaks of a down payment or earnest money to secure a purchase. Now, if you've ever purchased a home, chances are you've sat down and there's a part of signing the contract whenever you are giving earnest money. Now that earnest money by no means is the fullness of what the price of the house is. But what that earnest money does is it lets the seller know that the buyer is not planning on backing out at any point in the process. That's what that earnest money coming in is all about. This text tells us that he is our pledge. He is the down payment. He is the earnest that comes in for this full inheritance that we have in Christ. That is, he is the earnest of our inheritance as Christian. God gives us the Holy Spirit to each believer as evidence that he is serious about the salvation. He is not going to back out midway through. He's not going to bring you in and then say, it's not going to work out, but rather he is fully with us. So according to what the Bible tells us over in Philippians 1, it says that the one who began a good work in you will complete it. It's not only a down payment, he's going to take you through the finish line. Now some of you might be thinking, all right, Paul, I hear what you're saying, but a couple of weeks ago, you've kind of made this statement. When you get saved, you get everything at that time. Everything you have in Christ. You get all of God the moment that you place faith in Jesus Christ. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So how can you have everything at the moment of salvation and at the same time there's still other blessings that you only receive somewhere else down the road? That's a fantastic question. Thank you for asking. Here's what we do with that. As Christians... You and I have everything we need to walk faithfully with God right now. It's already ours in Christ. We are not waiting on another filling. We are not waiting on another blessing. You have everything you need to walk faithfully with God right now. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now that being said, some of the blessings that are ours at the moment of salvation, only come to fruition in the presence of God. So, for example, what did Jesus tell his disciples over in John 14, just before he is going to go to the cross, just before he's going to die, just before he's going to ascend? At that time, he promised that he is preparing a place for them in heaven. Well, guess what? That place that is promised to us in heaven is not going to be ours until we're in the presence of God. But the moment you became a child of God, that promise is yours in Christ. It's just a promise that does not come to fruition until later down the road as you're in the presence of God. God's also promised us that we will have glorified bodies. 
bodies that are be free from disease and disability and defilement and death. But that body is not going to be ours until one day when we're in the presence of God in heaven. But the moment you became a believer, that promise is as sure in your life as though you're walking in it in that moment. God promised that we will have greater clarity down the road. According to what we find in Scripture, today we see through a glass darkly. But one day we see face to face. Today we, we, we see, but we don't fully see. There is going to be a time down the road in the presence of God when all of a sudden clarity at a whole different level is going to be ours. That is a promise that we have in his word. The moment you became a believer, that promise is yours. But one day down the road when you're in the presence of God, that promise will become a fruition in your life. As wonderful as these promises are, they do not inhibit us from walking faithfully with God today. Everything you need to walk faithfully with God is already yours in Christ. But listen, everything God has for you will not be completely in your grasp until one day when you're in his presence. The ESV translates this section with these words. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, listen, until we acquire possession of it. Isn't that beautiful? It is, he is the guarantee. You, you say, I don't know if God is going to give it to me. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. If the Spirit of God is indwelling you, that is the guarantee that we have in Christ. So any way you look at it, the Holy Spirit seals the contract, guarantees the inheritance, and it's the earnest that is showing God's full intentions. Christians who realize this inheritance that we have in Christ, they will live with greater hope and they will live with greater anticipation about the future. As good as this life can be, and let's be honest, God has blessed us with a lot of wonderful things. He's blessed us with salvation. He's blessed many of us with marriage, blessed us with families. He's blessed us with church relationships, brothers and sisters in Christ. He's, he's blessed us with our senses, the ability to see and to taste and to smell and to hear. There's, this world is filled with beauty and blessings. As wonderful as those things are, it only gets better on the other side. Sometimes we jokingly say things like, that person's living their best life now. Let me just say, as a child of God, you are not living your best life now. It is only getting better on the other side. And praise the Lord, this is not the best life right now. If you look around at all the problems and issues that are still in this world, I am so grateful to God to know it's only going to get better on the other side in eternity with him. So let's pull all of this back together. It is the will of God the Father to bless his children. And in these 12 verses... He gives us just some of those blessings. But they are major categories that also have many different connections that come under it. We've been blessed with election, adoption, redemption, forgiveness of sins, revelation of his will and wisdom and insight, the seal of the Holy Spirit, and an inheritance in Christ. But because of those things, here's just a few of the other blessings that now are ours because of what we have in that spiritual account. 
we have peace, love, grace, wisdom, eternal life, joy, victory, strength, guidance, power, mercy, forgiveness, righteousness, truth, fellowship with God, spiritual discernment, heaven, eternal riches, and so much more. You and I are blessed. Do you know when it was that for each person in this room, do you know when it was that those blessings became ours? At the moment of salvation. There was a time when every single person in this room was alienated from God, separated from God by sin, with no hope of making things right themselves. And yet, because of what Jesus has done for us, we get a chance to talk about this list of blessings and know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is ours in Christ. We have much to be grateful for. So tonight, we're going to end this service in a way of reflecting upon the gratefulness and the thankfulness that we have. We're going to end this service in communion. Communion is that time that Jesus says, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember the price that was paid for your redemption. Remember what happened on the cross. Remember the fact that he took our sin debt. Remember the fact he took our punishment. Remember the fact that he rose from the dead that we might have life. Remember what he has done. If you'll notice, he's given us a couple of different ordinances. One of those is baptism. That is a one-time piece that a person does to identify with the gospel message and tell the world, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is an ongoing piece that we do. Here it is, to remember, to remember, to remember what he has done. We are unbelievably forgetful. Let a couple of bad weeks come our way and we turn inward in self-pity and we think that we have no blessings, we think we've been cursed, we think that God is against us. But when you go back and look at what he has done, you cannot help but walk away saying, I am blessed in Christ. So I'm going to ask you if you would take the next few moments. And I want you to enter into a time of prayer. Just bow your heads, close your eyes, enter a time of prayer. And I want you to be praying about two specific things before we receive communion tonight. I want you to be praying first that God would reveal any known sin that is in your life that he would reveal what that sin is, that you would recognize it as sin, that you would confess it before God, that you would repent of it, and by grace, go in the complete opposite direction. I encourage you to take a few moments and pray, God, reveal any unconfessed sin in my life. The second thing I want you to pray about at this time is that God would show you how blessed you are is a follower of Christ. Take a few moments. The band is just getting prepared. The pastors are getting the tables ready for communion. Just take a few moments and go to God in prayer.
each time we receive communion. I try to go through and share a different aspect of what communion is all about. So in our past six times, I've talked about the fact of us slowing down. I've talked about thankfulness. I've talked about the gospel while we've received communion. I've talked about waiting. That was on Good Friday of this year. I've talked about recapturing the memory and the the importance of communion. We've talked about grace. And tonight, I want to emphasize the blessings. This entire text begins with, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We are blessed. And after spending three weeks walking through a text and talking about what God has provided for us, I want you to remember that tonight. Those blessings came at a price. Those blessings came because Jesus was willing to lay aside the splendor and the glory of heaven, to come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, not because of his sin, but because of ours, to pay the penalty, the sin debt that each of us deserved. But three days later, he rose from the dead, bodily, victoriously rose from the dead so that you and I might have eternal life, that we might experience our created purpose. We were created for a relationship with God. Jesus is the one who made that relationship possible. So when we receive communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. He does not tell us, remember my birth, and yet we celebrate Christmas with all of our hearts. But he does tell us, remember my death. It's because of what he did on the cross that allows us the opportunity to experience the blessings that we have. So as we receive communion tonight in just a moment, there's going to be communion served in the back. There's pastors that are standing there. There's communion that'll be served in the front. It's all the same. We're going to invite people in just a moment to come and to take the elements back with them. The little cup of juice, the little wafer, take it back and hold it with you until everybody has been served. That's one of those things when you get together with family, you wait for everybody to get the table before you start eating. In this, we wait for everybody to be served. But once you're coming, there's going to be a song that we're singing. When we receive communion, it's a time of celebration. It's a time of remembrance. But remember what he has done that you and I might have life. So at this time, I'm going to have a word of prayer. I'll say amen, and when I do, you all stand, receive the elements, take them back to your seats, and we'll receive them all together in just a moment. Heavenly Father, walk us through with eyes of remembrance and hearts that are thankful for the blessings that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. If you all would, you can stand, come and receive 